Good morning, everyone. I hope you are wide awake, alert, and ready for the third installment in our ongoing prophecy series. This is Pastor Ken Richards, and please join me in prayer. Loving Father and our God, we pray that you will bless us and give us clear minds to understand and receive the things that will be presented in this study. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, today's episode is titled, A Crisis Develops in Babylon. Now, in the second chapter of the book of Daniel, we find the first timeline given to the prophet as to how the future will unfold from his day on to the end of time. Now, we will get there in the following study, but for this morning, let us look back at a few verses of chapter 1 to set the stage for what is to follow in chapter 2. A little more background will give us context and we will better understand the setting of what is happening when we get to chapter 2. Now, from the previous segment of this series, we saw that due to their apostasy in turning away from the worship of God to idols, God had withdrawn his protection from Israel and given them up to their evil ways. They were invaded by the king of Babylon, their cities burned to the ground, and thousands were taken as captives to Babylon. Now, among these captives were a few young men who distinguished themselves as men of integrity and faithfulness to God, despite the disaster that had come upon their nation. But even in this great calamity which had come upon Israel, God was working to save others from darkness. He would take a select few loyal servants of his from among them, and even though in captivity, he would exalt them in the government of Babylon so that they would, by their life and example, be lights to bring the knowledge of the true God to those in the darkness of heathenism. So God had a plan. No, in ancient times, when one nation conquered another, there were certain common practices that many of them did. And one of these was that, what you might call a brain drain. They would take the most promising and brilliant ones of the conquered nation and bring them back to the land of the conqueror and use their knowledge and expertise to help build their nation so that the conquering nation becomes even more powerful and more established. Now, the same thing has happened in modern times, but in a different way, usually. Sometimes more powerful nations they just mess up the economy of smaller and weaker nations, making things so difficult that many of the more educated ones run to their lands seeking for better opportunities. And this too causes a, a drain out of the weaker nations, a brain drain. But back to Daniel. He and his friends are now in Babylon and they are given new names by their captors. Daniel chapter 1 verse 6 says, no, among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, these were Daniel and his three friends, and they had Hebrew names, as we just mentioned. Daniel meant God is judge. Hananiah meant Jehovah has favored. Mishael, what God is. And Azariah, Jehovah has helped. So these were their Hebrew names and their meanings. 
But notice in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 7, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel being Belteshazzar. They were captives in a foreign land under the authority of the Babylonian officials who now said, you will no longer use your Hebrew names here. We will give you new names. Their Hebrew names, as we've shown, had meanings which pointed to the true God, the God which they worshipped. But in Babylon, they were given Babylonian names, which had meanings pointing to the idols of Babylon. This was an attempt to assimilate them into the Babylonian culture and society and to get them to forget their own culture, to forget their religion and to forget their God. But this was not to be with the four faithful young men of God. They had been given a right training in their earlier years and they held on to the knowledge of the God of Abraham even while being captives in Babylon and so God protected and exalted them in Babylon. And it goes to show, dear listener, that a right start and proper upbringing can go a long way in establishing and cementing our young people in a relationship with God so that not even all the enticements of Babylon, all the riches of Babylon, the greatest kingdom in the world, not even all of that can move them. In verse 8 of the first chapter, we get a glimpse into the level of commitment of these young men. It says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. In other words, despite the fact that he was a captive in a heathen land, under a vicious king who could have his head cut off even without a reason, and be answerable to no one. Yet this young man and his three friends, they fixed their minds beforehand. The Bible says they purposed in their heart. They fixed their minds that no matter what, they will not compromise in any way that would dishonor their God. It also shows that what we feed our bodies on is important. And it goes a long way towards honoring God and toward promoting health to our bodies and wisdom to our minds. God blesses us when we seek to preserve our body with honor, by abstaining from all that is unhealthy and defiling to the body temple. You see, God is the same, dear friends, yesterday, today, and forever, and his principles are the same as even 25, 2600 years ago and for all time. Now, these young men, after a certain period of three years of being prepared, they were tested by the king to see who would be appropriate to install in positions that could help to build his country and to build his empire. It says in verse 17 onwards of Daniel chapter 1, it says, As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he would bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, 
Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were all in his kingdom. Understand, dear friends, that the kingdom of Babylon was a kingdom built upon spiritualism. The king's advisors were the astrologers and the magicians, in other words, the sorcerers, as you would see, as if you will see in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 2, soothsayers, Daniel 2.27, these were the men of witchcraft, the men of darkness, the, you might call them the, the voodoo priests or the obia men. These were the kind of advisors that the king surrounded himself with. Witchcraft and the works of darkness and demonic activity was rampant in all levels of Babylonian culture and society. But notice that these humble servants of the Most High God, these four faithful young men, were ten times wiser than all those who represented the kingdom of darkness. We live in a world in which many people are afraid of the powers of darkness and those who allow themselves to be the tools or puppets of these evil forces. But understand, dear friends, the sincere and faithful child of God has absolutely nothing to fear from such because they're ten times wiser and by their connection with the Almighty, they have access to a power that is infinitely greater than all the powers of darkness of this world. Now, turning to the first part of chapter 2, let us follow the conversation back and forth a bit for a few verses to see what is really happening now as we begin chapter 2. From Daniel chapter 2 verse 1 onwards. It says, And in the second year of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep went from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans to show him his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Syriac, that's one of their native languages, and they said, O king, live forever. Tell us, your servants, the dream, and we will give the interpretation. The king answered and said to them, The thing is gone from me. If you will not make known unto me the dream, with the interpretation also, then you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made a dunghill, a dump. So Nebuchadnezzar is saying, Look, I do not remember any of it. But if you tell me the dream and the interpretation also, you will receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. That's verse 6 of Daniel chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar the king is desperate now. Back in the superstitious culture of ancient Babylon, it was believed that if you have a dream and forget it when you wake up, it was a sign of bad luck coming upon you. So the king is fearful and desperate. Verse 7 continues on. They answered and said again, Let the king tell us his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation of it. The king answered and said, I know for certainty that you would trick me, 
because you see that this thing is gone from my mind. In other words, you would make up some interpretation. If I, were, if I had remembered the dream and told it to you, you would just make up some interpretation. That's what the king is saying. But he continues. He says, but if you will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you all. For you have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me the interpretation thereof. He's saying, look, I don't remember the dream. But if you can tell me what the dream was, then I will believe and I will trust that the interpretation you give me is correct also. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore there is no king or lord nor ruler that ask any such thing of any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requires. And there is none other that can show it to you, dear king, except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. At least they're acknowledging that their power is not really all that. It goes on in verse 12 to say, For this cause the king was angry and very furious, and he commanded that all the wise men of Babylon should be destroyed. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. In other words, wherein Daniel and his three friends were not devil worshippers like the sorcerers of Babylon and the astrologers and stuff of Babylon, yet they were considered as among the wisest in the empire. So naturally, the decree to destroy all the wise men would include them also. Verse 14, then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. So they were in the dark. They were, why is this coming from? What has happened? They were not even aware of what was happening. Verse 16, then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. Think about the confidence that he went in with. Don't kill anyone yet, O king. Give me time and I will tell you what your dream is and what the interpretation is. Daniel's confidence was not in himself, dear listener. It was in the God whom he served. So a very great crisis had developed in the empire of Babylon. Babylon was the most powerful nation in the world at that time, ruling over many other nations and their kings. These other kingdoms had to pay taxes to the king of Babylon. But now the kingdom is in crisis. The ruler over the whole empire, the most powerful human being on the earth at that time, Nebuchadnezzar, was in perplexity. He was troubled by a dream which the Almighty had caused him to have and also caused him to forget. So now he's troubled, fearful, filled with a sense of foreboding and does not trust anyone around him. If it will make him feel more secure to destroy his whole cabinet, his whole congress or parliament, then not a problem. He can replace them with others. His power and authority over the kingdom is absolute and his decrees, his orders, make thousands tremble with fear. And yet he himself 
is also now trembling with fear. Because he feels that something bad, some bad luck, something that is bigger than himself is coming at him. And he is left in darkness to it all. It goes to show, dear friends, that no matter what you see rulers doing, whether they're presidents or prime ministers or kings or whatever titles they take upon themselves, when they abuse their authority and even cause those under their rule to tremble with fear, whether their nation is great or small, a small island or a massive continent, in the whole scheme of things, to the Almighty, they are mere pawns and even less than pawns. The God of the Bible says, Did any of you measure the ocean by yourself or stretch out the sky with your own hands? Did you put the soil of the earth in a bucket or weigh the hills and the mountains on balanced scales? God is saying, Look, I'm mighty and you are all nothing in comparison to my power. God is seeking to give proper perspective to those who would exalt themselves so they will come to recognize how puny they really are in his sight. But to those who are loyal and faithful to him, he says, you can turn to me whenever there is trouble. You can call upon me and I will hear, I will answer, because you are the apple of mine eye and I will give you special revelations when it is needed. Notice what God says again in Isaiah 40 and verse 15. He says, Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and they are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he takes up the isles as a very little thing. He says, look, all the nations combined are less than the dust. Just, a, a, just one speck of dust on a balance, on a scale. It doesn't even move the scale. It doesn't cause the dial to shift. It's so insignificant. And God is saying, that's what it's all to me. So when you know the true God, dear friend, and are a faithful, trusting servant of the Most High God, you will not be afraid of the roaring of puny humans who abuse their earthly power. But getting back to the scene in chapter 2, we see that the stage is set. In addition to all the sorcerers of Babylon, the lives of Daniel and his three friends are on the line. A decree has gone forth from a panicked, despotic ruler that they should all be killed. There is a great mystery to be solved. Their lives depend on it. And so far, everyone is clueless. Daniel and his three friends had trusted God in the past, and he came through for them. Will they have the faith to trust him now also? And will he also help them now? When we come back in our next segment, we will see how this crisis unfolds and what it tells us concerning the past, the present, and the future of this world. But until then, you all have a wonderful day. Be safe. God bless you all.